All right. Mike, Alex, thank you so much for making time. I really do appreciate it. We have about 50 minutes, and I just wanted to get you boys on the podcast to talk about coaching, to talk about struggles with anxiety, because that's something I have. And I know you boys have had issues with that too, or struggles. And I don't even want to call it struggles, because really it's, it's a teacher at the end of the day. It's, a, it's, it's teaching us more about life and adversity and we're stronger forward and then the third topic i just want you guys to wrap on where your current thoughts are on life like why are we here what's the meaning what's our purpose so it's over to you which whichever one of you guys want to go first just with the coaching question what, well, what are your thoughts well to to be clear i'm the only motherfucker that struggles with anxiety brooker brooker is the least anxious person that i've ever met there one of the things that this motherfucker always says is no dramas. Oh, all right. No dramas. Like nothing bothers him. So he, I mean, he fucking went all the way around the world and back again without, without, and he almost died every fucking step of the way. He's, he's not anxious. Me, I'm a sheltered life. Like I'm the guy with the anxiety broker. He's. I'm not really that anxious most of the time, but then when I am, it's because there's a really serious thing going on. So my like risk management don't really exist you know like mike sort of that's why the comp we complement each other really well you know mike sort of is very careful whereas i'm like the idiot that just keeps going and then it's all of a sudden like oh now we've got a situation you know what i mean so <laughs> for sure it's still anxious but it's just in a different way you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. but i mean what sort of where do you I mean, we can go in any any of those topics. I mean, you've picked three pretty big ones, mate. I'm not going to lie for 50 minutes. I mean, you're putting us on it here, yeah, so. Yeah, well, as I said to Mike as well, listen, this could be a part two and a part three. We can attack maybe even one topic today and then we can always reconvene then another time, you know. It's just with coaching, particularly with you, Brooker, um, you've gone through what I, I, I felt as a similar cycle to me in that, like, we loved coaching and then we kind of fell out of love for a while and then, like, we kind of found a new meaning in it and it kind of, gone back to seeing it as you know a different medium to give our lives purpose you know i suppose it's kind of perception of what coaching is to a specific individual it's like the word god like like people some people think god's a guy in the sky some people think he's the fucking tree across the road and it's just this universal energy you know right. what i mean it's kind of the same with coaching like if you just said oh i'm a strength and conditioning coach like in some people's head, that's just a loud guy in some university fucking football program but to other people it's like I mean, Elliot Holtz calls himself strength and conditioning coach, and he's the furthest thing from that type of stereotype of your guy in a collegiate setup. So just with coaching, I suppose just your evolution on like, since you've gotten into the profession and how it's gone and, and what you currently think the role is of a coach in facilitating not only the athletes or the people or the clients you work with, but even as yourself as a medium for you to find purpose. And Mike, obviously, I want you to give your thoughts on the coaching profession. Well, you know, it's funny. Last night... Mike, I saw the uh, Driven Beyond Strength episode for the first time in forever. And, um, you know, that's funny to look at because that's how many years ago? That's like nearly 10 years ago, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and to see like where we both was then and what we're thinking about and remembering also like the, the personal conversations we had then about what we wanted to try and do and achieve and what was the job all about and stuff. It's, it's funny how, you know, we, I think even for Mike too, I mean, we kind of, we had this idea and we were sort of looking around at other successful people and then modeling what they've done. And that's kind of 
that's what we can expect for ourselves, and that's what kind of what we want. And I think it's just, it's funny. It always moves in circles, right? Like you fall out of everything for a bit and then you always think the grass is greener and do I really want to do this all the time or not? And there's just that stage of sort of maturing. And for me personally, oh, McCourty, what's up, handsome? Look at yeah. you. D-Max in the house right now. <laughs> David, you're getting younger, bro. You're on my mic. He said, man, you're getting younger. And he's like fucking, he's like Wolverine, bro. This, this fucking guy don't age. Cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I told him. I said, "All I got is Caleb's jersey here. I got Hogan's jersey right here, and then I'm gonna hang his up next." I, you know, I'm tired of just having Caleb in the background. I gotta have uh, my boys here. The best, the best podcast bomb ever. <laughs> <laughs> right, Be good, D Mac. You too, man. That's all, so, guy. Yeah, what a great dude, man. The best. We had him on the podcast too. Oh, I know. I listened. He's phenomenal. And I have a friend over here, and he's a huge Patriots fan. So he'll be so jealous now that he just uh, made an appearance. <laughs> but that's also a, a huge part to coaching too. That sometimes, at least I, I overlooked was there's so many great people that you get to meet. You know, and that is something that's so you know so beautiful. I mean, I let when I left Swiss. And for a few years, and then I come back and then just, you know, just to rebuild some of those relationships. And then also, you know, I've got guys that I work with now and they were kids when I first met them and started working with them. And now they're like pros and stuff. So that's, that's the sort of thing that, you know, before, like when I was younger, I would have always overlooked and never really cherished. And now it's really something that I just absolutely love because it goes, and then sort of the boundary between sort of clients and friends sort of dissolve and, that's really nice. And in terms of like purpose, I think that's really cool because it's kind of like an extended family or tribe. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, man. I just see it in a different way now. That, that aspect for me, it was always very, very easy with the blending of friendship with clients. But where it really sucks is that now you got to take money from your friends for hanging out. That fucking sucks. I mean, you see, you see D-Mac. I mean, that guy, he's, I, I told him he'd probably, it'd be between him and him, Brooker and Hogan as to who would probably be the best. I'm not going to have a wedding, but who'd be the best man at my wedding? Because those, those are the three people that I think helped me out with my relationship the most, you know, like, and now I got to sit there and say, Hey, oh, yo, by, by the way, bro, you owe X amount of dollars like that. I fucking hate that. But again, like when your boys have that much money, like it's, it's part of the service and stuff. But I mean, I have kids, I have kids that, that come in that love me and I love them. Like I, I build such good relationships with some of these kids that it's like, man, I, I, they could ask anything of me and I would help them. You know, I, I've, I've had kids that go away to school. They're with me for years. They go away to school and they have, panic attacks and who's the first person they call they call me when they freak the fuck out right how am i supposed to i mean they look at me like a big brother and then all of a sudden they come in it's like yo bro by the way your sessions are up can you bring more money i know i'm your big brother and everything but can you pay me i fucking hate that about what we do in the private sector it drives me crazy uh that's you know that's a big reason by the way why i kind of want to do the podcast is because i want to get enough sponsorships going to the point where I don't have to really charge my kids. Like I can have my coaches around me. They can make money. They can pay for the gym and stuff, but I can yield the salary doing what I'm doing 
through other avenues and I can train kids for free. I've always, after seeing like uh, how Louis Simmons does stuff like years ago and he doesn't charge any of his guys, I would love to do that. Especially with what we do here too. Like we, I, I, I have so many kids that are self-conscious as fuck. They have poor communication skills. Uh, they, they're, they're not doing that great, but they're hard workers and they want to do great. I'd love to help them out. I'd love to help all these fucking kids out. You know, like I, I think that stuff is so, so important, but then you got to sit there and you got to take the money. That's what I fucking hate. That's a big thing that I can't stand about, about what I do anyway with coaching. Um, because, and a reason why I was considering drifting more towards strength conditioning is because someone else pays me and they will, I will always give these kids my time because that's what I'm paid to do. And they don't have to worry about where the money's coming from. Now, I, I give hundreds to easily tens of thousands of dollars away every single year. In my, in my t seven years of doing business now, oh, hundreds of thousands of dollars I've given away in free training. Easily. Easily hundreds of thousands. Um, I, you still, regardless, you're always trying to help people out the best you can, but money, money sucks. I, I fucking, I, I hate that aspect of just trying to like, Hey, by the way, chase people down for money or, or Hey, you owe money, whatever it is. That's, that's a big thing. That's a big deterrent for, for me. And I, I, I think that's a lot of people actually, you know, why do you think that is like, cause a lot of people, particularly, I suppose we're in our own bubble in terms of the coaching profession, but it does seem that the vast majority of our peers in a profession have an issue asking for money, not, not even just from friends, but you know, you see it all the time. Like when it kind of came crunch to getting a client's kind of like, well, here are our fees. Like, well, why do you think that is? Because the last time we spoke, Mike too, I, I know that you have an interest in like finance and business and investment. So I know that you've looked at other avenues and it's just like, whenever, whenever you meet someone in investment, they never have an issue talking about money. Obviously it's just like, it's environment, it's epigenetics. It's like they grew, they grew up in a world where like money was all they spoke about. And I suppose a lot of it too is a lot of people from middle-class families, they kind of have this story in the, in their, in the back of their head that like money is like hard to earn and it doesn't grow on trees and, and that rich people are kind of bad. Like where when you kind of meet rich people, they're kind of like, no, money's not hard to earn. You can, if you know what you're doing, like, so like, what, why do you guys think it's kind of prevalent in the coaching profession? Like this kind of fear of asking for money. I can understand from close friends. All right. But even just general clientele. I think it's part of the character. Like if you want to become a coach, it's genuine, genuine, generally because you genuinely want to help people out. I mean, I say to Mike too, why can't I just be happy selling concrete or windows or, you know, that would make everything always easier in terms of business stuff. Because when you're dealing with people, people's lives and you get insights into stuff too. And I don't know, I think it's just the qualities that are necessary to be a really good coach. They're quite synonymous also with sort of giving and rather than taking all the time. And especially when you hear, I mean, the higher up like clientele that you get in terms of pro status, all you're hearing about the whole time is that they're, they're saying about this guy trying to take this off them. And, you know, it's always about money. And that's what also I like about this is that, you know, you're not only about the money. So it then that feedback loop starts. And then also you, you know, it's also a big virtue signal too in, in this industry. Like it's not about the money and I'll eat shit and not, you know, be satisfied with a low salary. And 
then you don't want to be the lone wolf that's like, well, I still want to earn really good money while coaching. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one. But I think it's just the characteristics that make you want to go into the profession. It's, it's a bit different. But I also know other coaches that they're great with the money. They, they bill things like a lawyer. I mean, a lawyer, is a, he sends you an email, he's charging for it, but we'll be on the phone for two hours with someone. We ain't charging for, for it all the time, you know? So it's, man, it's all personal choice. I think it's just the, 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 the character traits. Yeah, it, I, it's cultural. You know, I think, think about the best coaches that we've talked to and how fucking broke they are. You know what I mean? That it's, and then when a guy makes money in the industry, people call him a sellout or they'll, or they'll say, oh, he's all about the money. Like, man, I'm all about my family. You know, like what, what's one thing that I always ask a lot of our successful coaches that we have on here is how's your family life? Mm. It's, that's got to play a big role. It has to play a big role in it. Otherwise, you're not going to make the money. If your family isn't number one on your list, well, then money won't really matter to you, will it? Because you, that's all it comes. I, I think that's what a lot of it comes down to is my, my goal right now is to build a solid foundation to build a family on, right? Like that's what I want to do with, with, from a financial standpoint. That's what, that's what my goal is. How am I going to be able to support my family in the, the most beneficial way for their development possible? That's it. So knowing that's my goal, I have, I have an avenue. I have a mode of doing that. That's personal training. That's owning a gym. So I have these goals that I need to set and I need to fulfill these goals in order to have the bigger goal. Everything is going towards how am I going to be secure enough to sustain a family? Because that will be, as of now, that's, that's, my, that's a big goal of mine. That actually kind of um, blends in nicely to a question that just came into my mind there. And, and it still stays with the sort of theme of coaching and, and life and purpose is goal setting. Because, Mike, you might resonate with this in that, you know, you know the way James would often talk about reverse engineering the sport. Like, I see the same in, in life, too, you know. So it's kind of, you know, when people say, well, what I want out of life, well, it's kind of like Alan Cosgrove spoke about, well, what's your perfect day? And then I'm always like, reverse engineer from there to know how to get there. Like, what does that perfect day look like? So this is a question for both Brooker and yourself. Because, Brooker, I know now you have a, a little baby now and, and a family. And, Mike, you, you just spoke there that you'd like to have a family. I mean like the 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 sort of the i don't want to say destination because life isn't this one destination it's a continual journey it's a book of different chapters where you know old ones close and we go to a new chapter and it's just a journey that we we write out until the last breath and to make the most of it i suppose that gets into our conversation now about the purpose but with regards to goals that you guys set how do you go about reverse engineering those like what like or how do you go about goal setting or do you do you do goal setting or like Talk to me more about that. I do, but in a different kind of way. So I'll, I'll write out where I would like to be in the future. And then you, I, I like, do you know Scott Adams? Have you ever heard of Scott Adams? He had this whole concept about systems over goals. So goals are they're very much outcome dependent and they're never usually as simple as if I just keep working hard, I'm going to get it because there's so many other factors involved and 
what happens if you don't get it, then you might end up demotivated. And I've seen it with guys too, you know, pro athletes win gold medals, then they're, they're depressed afterwards. They think it's going to fix them up and it does the opposite. I've had business guys sell their startups, which is everything they've been working towards in it. It hasn't been the thing that they were really looking for. So for me, it's like, I have a, an ideal future that I want to aim towards and I know what is sort of required to get there, what skills are going to help me get there, what skills do I need to build on, what habits do I maybe need to change in terms of reverse engineering it. But then it just comes down to like daily processes and working towards it and building up these systems that no matter what, you should be able to always do it. And I mean, as long as you're doing it 80% of the time, you're going to feel pretty confident about it. So I have it like that. I don't really have there's a this, this goal for this week, this month, in three months, six months, year, I'm, I'm also not that kind of guy. I'm, I'm a bit more intuitive rather than sort of, you know, like a computer. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not organized enough for that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really similar to Brooker. Uh, my, I, I've never understood people like they, 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 they say you got to write down your goals. You want your goal to come true. Number one, you got to write it down, man. I don't fucking know. They, they, people, people would say, write it down every single day, write down your goals every single morning. You write down your goals. That way you see it every single day. And it's a reminder of what you're, what it is you're supposed to do. I've never done that. Uh, I kind of, I kind of float a lot, which is probably why it's taken me so long to develop a business versus just being a coach. Right. I've been, I've been coaching now. How long how, I've, I, I don't know, 14 years or how old I'm 30, 35. So I've been coaching since I was 21 in, in one way or another. I've been, I actually, yeah, I've been, I've been doing strength coach stuff, uh, personal training since I was 21 years old. And I've really only developed my business like this past year. And that was because I had to, because I was in school so much. I was between school for the past three years and work, I've been putting in easily a hundred hours a week. So I had to put in systems. Otherwise I was, I wasn't going to starve. I was going to make enough money, but I wasn't going to continue to progress because if me with me, if you're not progressing, you're moving backwards. Like I don't for, for uh, sustaining that's to me, I don't know. I can't, I, if I'm not going forward, that means I'm, I'm getting worse. And I can't get worse at things. It'll it'll eat me alive. Uh, so I had how, to put. How, how are you measuring that, Mike? Like, how, how are you getting a sense that yeah, I'm progressing? Well, from a business standpoint, how much money we make, right? How much money my coaches make? That's that's very big. Where am I in fucking life? Am am I a single guy doing whatever the hell I want? Am I happy doing that? Am I working towards a goal? What is my goal? Am I learning? Are my clients getting better? Am I getting, I don't know, more popular in one regard or less popular? Or am I, am I in touch with better coaches? Am I learning more from those coaches? Am I building relationships with these people? Or even from a family perspective, how much do I see these people, right? It, it, I, it all depends. I, I, have, I compartmentalize everything. So, so it depends on what, what box, what shelf you're, you're talking about and, and, in my head, but from a business standpoint, from a training standpoint, yeah, I, it's money, clients, and injury rate. 
essentially like, are my guys getting injured as much? I, I remember one year I had three guys, uh, Quincy and got injured. Uh, and that was like a reoccurring neck thing that really wasn't anyone's fault. Hogan had a knee injury. He took a helmet to the knee. And then I think someone else, I, I forget who it was, but someone else had an injury. I think it was Tradow and it was his ankle and his ankle was arthritic, right? There was nothing, but I had three guys in one week go out and I'm sitting there like, man, I'm a fucking failure. So, I mean, there's, there's different ways for me to measure things in my head. Uh, I, you know, that's, these are, these are just how I look at things. I, I forget where I was going with all this though. One of, one of the things that I always have in my head is you hear that famous quote, you're going to overestimate what you can do in a year, but underestimate what you can do in 10. So I always keep that a little bit in the forefront of my head because I think that, you know, a big issue isn't that, you know, you dream too big or anything. It's just like you settle with what you've got. So I try to not get in my own way with that too. And I also love the, I think it was Elon Musk that said, make your 10 year goals and try to complete it in six months. And it's just about then just absolute relentless action, right? And just trying to push, 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 push. And you're probably not going to get your 10 year goals in six months, but you're definitely going to be a good way further towards it. And I mean, this new, this Christmas and new year period, it was a very different Christmas than what was expected. So I had a lot more time to also reflect on me, new baby, turning 30 and all these other things, they all piled up on top of each other. So I felt like it was really a good time to sort of catalog and self-reflect. And I, I, I did, I did the self-authoring program from Jordan, Jordan Peterson about three years ago. And looking at that was absolutely fascinating because it's really quite in depth and it asks you a bunch of different questions. And I really took the time to build up on it. I think I wrote about 15,000 words on future authoring and all this kind of stuff. And I was in such a completely different stage of life back then. And it's really funny that, you know, I'd say half of what I wrote down of what I wanted, I have even better than what I could imagine. The other half of like different things, I could have wrote the same fucking thing. If I wouldn't have read that and I was writing it now, I would have wrote exactly the same thing. So it's, it's funny that, I don't know, it's not so much for me, like the goal stuff is, it's not so much of what I can have because I know that I can be completely cushy, mate, with being on the beach or in the jungle or in the mountains with bugger all, you know, just a bit of food, doing some kind of sport or being with good people. And that's a really great, extraordinary moment. And for me, that's, that's an important thing in my life is extraordinary moments where there isn't any, even any words. You're just like, wow, this is just awesome right now. So like, yeah, it's, it's not so much about what I can have, but it's more about what can, who can I be? And that's kind of really interesting to me, but I don't know, like in 10 years, I hope I've got no idea. I hope that things are going on that I would never have predicted if, you know, in 10 years, if I look back, I'll be like, well, I never had any idea that that was coming up. So I tried to be really careful with it, but this whole self-help industry is huge. And it's because also for the first time, people were really, like they see on, on Instagram, teenage millionaires, and they see, you know, all of these other people and they're just comparing themselves and thinking, well, I'm behind and I should have this and I, I kind of want that. And you can be anything that you want to be. Well, you know, and they get, then they get lost in sort of just writing these goals every day, but rather than actually just fucking doing it, you know, and yeah. just, you know, they just, it's just another form of avoidance and procrastination sometimes, not always, but, and I see that too, you know, I had a client that's, 
said that I can't remember the, the number, but it was an outrageous amount of self-help books. And I just said, well, why, you know, what's wrong? Why don't you know it? More or less the, the advice is more, it's nearly the same. What are you waiting for? Why don't you just pull the trigger and just start moving towards it? Even if it's a baby step, you know? So I think process is really the key. And once we're engaged in it, those kind of big pipe dreams, they're kind of lost because then you're in the flow of actually making things happen. And for me, that's where I know that I want to be lost into, not so much, okay, great. I've got an Aston Martin, drive it around a bit. And then, and then what? Then I'm, then I'm buggered because it should have filled something up for me. You know, now I've got to pick another goal and another, and then another, whereas I would much rather focus on the process of who I'm being. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and that the big thing, Brooker always says it, and I've I've I buy it, is you overestimate what you could do in a year, and underestimate what you can do in ten. I mean, ten years ago when I was at DeFranco's, I was not thinking that I would be where I am, or be be a fucking you know graduate from acupuncture school, you know go getting getting remarried, and then having my own business where I have legitimately the best athletes in the world, you know, I, and my business is thriving and my trainers are all doing better than I did. That's great. I never, never would have thought it. Like it wasn't even, I, you asked me 10 years ago, what do I want to do? Man, I was, I was content then. I said, man, if I could just make 50 grand a year <laughs> for the rest of my life, coaching people 10 hours a day, I'd be fucking happy. And I wasn't coming close to that 10 years ago. You know, so I, I, I take it one step at a time and just do everything the best that I can, or as the best with, with the most effort that doesn't take away from the things that I really need to do. It's like the 2080 rule, 20% of the effort gives you 80% of the results. So yeah. I, and the best moment for me, at least, and I, I would be curious what you two think, but the best moments in my life and the worst moments in my life. I never could have expected them to happen. It was complete coincidence or luck or magic or whatever. So this like, they're two sides of the same coin and I don't want to like be so focused on things that I miss opportunities because I know that one of my skills is that I'm, I can, I can adapt to situations quite quick. So why not veer off a little bit to explore here? Because I mean, at the end of the day, bro, it's, it, it, I think if you zoom out enough, like the whole idea of failing and not being able to handle things and I can't get over this loss or something, that's all rubbish, man. That's all narrative stuff. It's just explore, play the game as much as you can. And 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 the progress is in terms of like your self-defined values about what's really important to you. And one of the the the, the things that I loved was that health, wealth, and relationship uh uh quotes from Naval. So I just focus on them three buckets every day. If I can fill them up a bit more than I did yesterday, go to bed. I've got more good things going on than bad. And for me anyway, like, you know, I heard recently terrible thing, a, a client of mine, his brother's baby was born five weeks early with some very rare cell disease and, uh, and an autoimmune disorder can't be touched by the mum and dad. And then you think that's the, that's the, the reality. And that's fucked up. You know, like that's when you've got a really big problem. I ain't got none of that stuff going on. So this for me is a really good day. And if you keep changing your perspective and in that way, for me, everything, everything seems uh, uh, bearable, you know, because 
the bad days, they're going to come eventually. So why not just enjoy and look around at all the good things that's going on, you know? Yeah, this type of conversation really reminds me of the lectures of Alan Watts. I know you're a big Alan Watts fan, Brooker. Um, Mike, are you familiar with Alan Watts? I'm sure I am, but... He's, uh... he's, like, he's uh, well, I'm sure Brooker, he'd fill in as well, but he's... He passed away like in the 70s, but he was from England and he was one of the pioneers of bringing Eastern philosophy to the West. Um, he, he was an exceptional just philosopher and he's many books as well. But you can get nearly all his audio lectures free on YouTube. But just like what I loved about Watts or what I really took away from him was this idea that trying to make things all good is a fruitless endeavor like that you you can't have night without day or left without right he's like it's trying to poke your index finger with the same finger can't be done and he also says the same thing then about desires so he's just kind of what you were alluding to there like brooker and mike too you know that what like to be more involved in the process rather than you know say oh i want to get to that place and then he's like but even when you get to that place you're going to get there maybe be satisfied for like one second and then he'd be like you're just going to be sitting there against your lotus thinking exactly like you're doing now and his whole point was that like no and he talks about worry too he's like no matter what you're always going to worry like people think oh if i'm a billionaire i won't worry he's like but then when you're a billionaire you, you'll worry about billionaire things you know you worry about all the tax mail coming out and take it and so he his whole thing was just like it's just these are just fruitless endeavors to have everything good or like to have this sort of goal or destination because he's like your your desires are like they're, you'll never satisfy them and that's kind of the whole thing of zen buddhism or comes from buddhism that like there's like another thing he he's the paradox is like the desire not to desire he's like do you realize like your desire not to desire is a desire so he's just like it's mm-hmm. all this like excessive anxiety and worry and overthinking and uh, you know overanalyzing things it's just fruitless so his whole thing is like you need to get to acceptance that's really what buddhism is is like we just need to accept that we just don't have the answers for certain uncertainties in life because the biggest uncertainty is obviously death and that's kind of why people have certain habitual behaviors or beliefs it's to kind of really deal with that that sort of background question that lingers in everyone's mind but alan watts is just phenomenal and just his whole concepts about like contrast so like you know when people like talk about like we're taught that like debt it's such a terrible thing it was like but you wouldn't know life without debt we're taught like depression's bad it's like but you wouldn't know elation or joy without depression so like whenever i'm depressed i know that like a, a better day is around the corner because i'll have this to contrast it against it's just like again the easiest one is like you wouldn't know daytime without night so it's just, uh, I just love Alan Watson, kind of, he grounds me all the time. And Brooker, to your point too, another thing that kind of grounds me too is always trying to peel it back to core values. I think that's a that's a huge thing too. When people feel lost in life, it's kind of like, well, you've no anchor, like what do you stand for? And, you know, you kind of allude to like the health and wealth sort of ideas for you. For me, like it's always health and then education kind of to what you allude to, Mike, and that like, if I don't feel like I'm, I've grown every day, like I'm moving forward, I feel like I haven't lived to a core value. And then obviously relationships with family and friends. Well, that's just certain thoughts that came to my mind. Alan Watts, I know that you love to rap on him too, Brooker. Yeah. And you know, the thing that I love most about Alan Watts, and it's the thing that most people criticize him on, he was an alcoholic. He drunk himself to death. And he just goes, everyone's, everyone's flawed, man. There's no perfect, uh, there's no perfect person or perfect situation of what's going on. And Mike, I mean, I've, I told you the, the famous story from Alan Watts once. I think the Chinese farmer, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That's why. And, and here's here's a quote from him, by the way. Trying to define yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big value in, in just, you know, the, some people say real wealth is just letting go completely. It's like the real rich man is the man that doesn't want anything else, doesn't need anything else. So, you know, but it, and it all depends on the circumstance. I mean, if I'm living in Colombia on the beach and I can fish, I don't need much else. But if I'm living in Switzerland, in Bern, where, you know, no matter what, the tax man's coming and it don't matter if there's been corona, there's still bills that have got to be paid. It's a completely different scenario, you know? So, you know, and I love these type of talks, but it's always really hard to to give like a good bit of advice because also everybody's circumstance is so different. And one thing that I really truly believe is that there is no way so like what might be good for me might be the completely wrong thing for you. The book I read might be like, oh, well, that seems to like make everything easier, but I can't follow the same steps as Alan Watts or Tony Robbins or any of these guys because their steps were their steps and they got nothing to do with me because I, ain't, first of all, the same, I don't have the same genetic profile, don't have the same experiences. I'm certainly not in the same environment that he was in at that time, you know, so all of this stuff is just a complete fucking waste because we we, we're trying to absorb this information to make the uncertainty of life more certain. But I'm sure that if we made it, if we knew everything that was going on, we knew when we were going to die, how we were going to die, if this venture works or not, we would then really be fucked up. It's like, Mike, what was the uh, show you saw with hell? And it was the guy that gambled and he never lost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The twilight zone. And, right the guy the guy went to hell and the guy was a compulsive gambler and all it was was he got he won every single hand and by the end of it he's sitting there going motherfucker like he, he got tired of winning because it was it was the challenge brooker brooker and i always we always talk about money i have i have a financial goal there's a certain amount of money that i want to hit and brooker said all right mike i hit the lottery i can give you that money would you take it? I said, fuck yeah, I would. He says, no, you wouldn't. You yeah, wouldn't take that money. You would fucking take that no chance. Because he don't want them. He don't, it's not the money. He wants to know that he created the value. He went through the struggle. It becomes part of his identity. Yeah, it was the, he wants the process of it. That's so. Uh, so going back to the Alan Watts thing and how he drank himself to death. Hypocrisy, right? Like, or flaws. These are things that stress me out. One thing that I always say is that I never say something about someone that I wouldn't say to their face, which is, I, I guess, why people think I'm an asshole. <laughs> because because I, I don't pull any punches. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, I just talked to so-and-so, what a jerk-off, and then never tell that to the person. If I'm going to call someone a jerk-off behind their back, I will say it to their face. But it's... It, it's, it's very tough to live a life without being a hypocrite. It's, it's like uh, one, things, one of the things that helped me with that was the Ten Commandments. Okay? So I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm like kind of religious. And in one of my Bible studies classes, one of the things that they talked about was the whole point of the Ten Commandments. What was one of the points of the Ten Commandments? Well, to show that every, no matter who the fuck you are, you're not going to fulfill them. You're not going to abide by them. Never are you going to abide by the Ten Commandments. You can't. What does that mean? He who is blameless cast the first stone. Right? So 
the motherfucker that can actually, yeah, mother, religious guy saying motherfucker, right? <laughs> the, 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 the motherfucker that is actually sin free is the only motherfucker that's allowed to judge. So who the hell am I to judge you? Not a single person on the planet can abide by the Ten Commandments, which means it's not about like, hey, you know, the Ten Commandments aren't saying you're fucked up, you're going to hell, you're fucked up, you're going to hell, you're fucked up, you're going to hell. No, it's, it's about saying, hey, you're fucked up, but so am I. Well, fuck. Who am I to judge you? I'm just as fucked up as you. And as for all I know, I'm more fucked up than you are because I haven't seen nearly the sins that you committed that I know that I have. You know, it's, we're all fucking flawed and we're all fucked in the head. Every single one of us, we all know our fucked up thoughts. The deepest, darkest things in our fucking lives. We know what we thought and we know that we're the worst person on fucking earth. You know what I mean? So like, <sighs> Who am I going to judge? Why, why give a shit? Like, all right, so this guy drank himself to death. He still said some pretty cool shit. Yeah, look at someone like Nietzsche, who's probably helped so many people through his writings. He was a fucking lunatic. And he famously said something like, whilst I might not have the keys to my own mind, doesn't mean that they might not be able to help you. Or something along this line, it was like just acknowledging, I don't know how to help myself, but I believe that the writing is my my... My, my, my wisdom is going to somehow help other people out. But, I mean, also at the same time, none of it really matters, man. <laughs> you know, no. like, big picture, man. Like you, we're going to go into a hole maybe in the ground and eventually people are not going to visit our gravestone. No, I'm giving, I'm giving my body to science. Like the Louis C.K. joke. He's like, imagine if you're the body that the student fails on. You get a big F on your body. Fail. It's like, oh man, I'm a cadaver <laughs> with an F on my arm. <laughs> But Mike, to your, to your point there too, like, I mean, I said this on a numerous, on numerous of my, on, I've said this on my own podcast numerous times, like um, a, a sort of foundation of how I would currently see and perceive reality is through the lens of epigenetics. You know, what epigenetics allowed me to appreciate was that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason, because it's all about how the environment interacts with the organism. So again, Everyone is the way they are for a reason. Everything is the way they are for a reason. Now, the the the, the very important follow-up to that is people misinterpretate them what I say because they're like, oh, so Robbie, you you love everyone because you've unconditional acceptance and love for everyone because you say everyone is is dictated by their environment. Therefore, everyone gets a free pass. And it's not that. It's like you can still not like someone, but understand the back of your mind that they're the way they are for a reason. So I kind of had this saying that I love everyone. I unconditionally love everyone. Hitler, everyone, Stalin, but I don't like everyone. <laughs> so unconditional love, another word for that is just acceptance. I, I can accept why people ended up the way they were or why certain situations ended up the way they did, but it doesn't mean that you have to like it or respect it. It's just in the back of your mind, understanding why everyone is as fucked up as the way they are like with so many factors i mean from the time you're a, an embryo inside your mother you're getting signals from the environment i know you guys spoke about bruce lipton like i've read biology belief that was one of them, like a profound book that changed me and he talks there actually has been experiments with rats pregnant mothers that's where brooker i know you spoke about that or maybe it was you mike where they stressed the shit out of the pregnant mother i'm very dominant yeah, the more blood flow, more biochemistry, more actual like wiring, neurological wiring and like actual blood vessels go to the hindbrain, the reptilian brain, because that rat pup is essentially being told here, you need to get your limbs ready. You need to fight or fly. And then they've shown rat, 
rat mothers where they're in a loving, caring, secure environment and it all goes to cortex and prefrontal lobes, well, or what would be the equivalent of a prefrontal lobe in a human or not being a rat. Like, so, like, I'm just, I'm just, when I got into the the work of Bruce Lipton, of another guy called um, Joseph Shilton Pierce, who, Brooker, I think you as a newfound father, you would love his writings. He's, he writes okay. so much on child development. I've cool. like three, three of his books. Only last week, I just interviewed a guy who's who like was his one of his best friends because I just wanted to speak to him, like ask like about Joe. He was like ninety when he died, like four years ago. So cool. Joseph Shilton Pierce, Bruce Lipton, and another guy called Jock Fresco. Jock Fresco passed away re- recently too, like only a couple of years ago. But he has a place in Florida called the Venus Project, and he was an inventor. Oh, this is this guy. Okay. Yeah, he was a, he was an inventor and a futurist, and he basically he basically developed a whole world economic model on a resource based economy. So, like his whole thing was that, like you know the the monetary system's like stupid it's dumb it's made up it doesn't work he's like if you're an alien and came from another planet you'd be like why the fuck is half of the world starving he's here like half of the world are dying from overeating while the other half like are dying from undereating and being undernourished he's like an alien like and like you turn around and go well it's kind of to do with politics and thing called the monetary system <laughs> and his whole thing was like his whole thing is like we've technology now where objective computers could just be like, right, this part of the world needs this irrigation, this middle land, and it would need this, this, this. Like, he's like, we have actual objective technology that could tell us what the planet needs at any one time, not politics who've got no background in that specific domain. Like, you get people who are like the secretary of like urban environment, and they have no, they have no idea about like plants or trees. It just got the job because of whatever party they're in, stuff like that. But those three guys, going back to Lipton, Joseph Sheldon Pierce and this guy Jack Fresco, like they taught me the importance of how an environment dictates an organism's expression, and it just made me then appreciate like everyone is over there for a reason, and it, it's helped me to develop my compassion and my empathy and my need, for, my want for understanding. But at the same time, like it's Brooker, like and Mike, you boys lose it. We're fucked up. We're all fucked up, and we're all hypocrites. And that's kind of what makes him, to be honest, I prefer a hypocrite because it makes him more human. It, going back to Anawasu, and then I'll shut up. He speaks about this great sort of uh, dyke or this great sort of um, paradox with religion too. Is that like, you know, some religious scripts say you should love your neighbor, but Alan Watts is like, yeah, but what if I hate him? And and then like, do I say I love him? But now I'm lying, and you told me that lying's a sin, so now I'm confused. So like, Alan Watts is like, I hate motherfuckers. That oh, he's not say motherfucker. You're making me say that, Mike. <laughs> but Alan Watts, Alan Watts basically says he hates people who are happy all the time because like, you can't trust those people. He's like, this is impossible. <laughs> he's like, I like people who are genuine, and they're like, I don't like you, but I'll still help you out. So when you said like you'll say things to people's face, I'm the kind of individual that respects that. I would rather people be genuine. So like you know when people are like, How are you doing today? I much prefer some said I'm doing shy, but like listen, we all we all have shy times. That's kinda of like how I'm answering everyone during COVID now. Everyone's like, How are you doing? And out of habit, people just go, Oh, I'm good. And it's like, no one's doing good. Don't fucking lie. Like the majority of people during COVID are pissed off, are having more pissed off than ever before. So like when someone's like, How are you doing lately? I'm like, to be honest, doing shy, but I know this will pass. As Lincoln said, this too shall pass. Yeah. And and what you said in regards to loving everyone. I wholeheartedly believe that because just as you said, dude, I, I used to say this shit all the fucking time and use that Hitler example. Hitler had someone that loved him. Why? Because he, someone understood who he is, who he was, where he came from, all that shit. We are who we are for a reason. So I, 
I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I mean, that, that kind of almost like I've, I've gone down the rabbit hole with that of just being like, Oh fuck. All I am is a puppet to the environment. Epigenetics. If a, you are, if, if your personality is shaped while you're in the womb, right? Like I've, my brother and I were treated the exact same way, the exact same way. We are, I mean, people that don't know us and then see us together, they're like, what? They don't, they don't understand how we could possibly, and people that just know me, meet my brother, they don't know how we could be related. It's, it's really, really interesting. And and, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Mike, because before having a baby, I was sure that it, like it's all nurture. Like nature, they just come out and they're a blank piece of paper and it's then what they're, you know, what they go through through the womb for sure. And then early experiences up till whenever, when the day they die, everything's shaping us the whole time. But now I, I don't know. I, I really don't know because me and my brother, we're two completely different people too. And we had very stable. It was very much the same, completely different uh, people. Yeah, but 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 the the the, the, the sorry to interrupt. The no, reason no, I I would I would disagree with both of you guys in that because the one thing we haven't spoke about is perception. Right. So, Mike, you say you're in the exact same environment, but your your perception of the environment, your brother, is completely different. You're two completely different people in that regard. And and the pre the prefrontal lobes are exactly the, the, the prefrontal lobes are the area that are most impacted by nurture because that's the whole reason babies are born so immature because the head wouldn't fit through the vaginal canal. So that's why you're you're actually the prefrontal cortex is mostly shaped by experience and environment. And and so the and but that's what makes us top of the food chain in the animal kingdom because our brains are so evolved that okay there's environment and there's organism, okay, and the environment does dictate the organism's expression, but the organ it it'll dictate the organism's expression by the organism's perception. So like an easy example of that is I'm in a room, and I'm in a room with a with a fucking like what do you call them guys? Um, Navy SEAL. Like Navy SEAL trained to fuck like like he's had guns to his head and all that. And some guy walks into the room, takes a gun, like I would literally shit my pants like. Whereas he'd be all like calm and relaxed and say, you know, all right, can or a little he'd probably make a move and fucking get the guy to the ground. And do you know what I mean? If you were to look at the physiological responses between the two of us, exact same environment and situation, to be two completely different responses. So perception is the big thing. So that's cause you hear that all the time about, well, like his brother's a drug dealer, but like his, his, this, his, his, the brother became a doctor and his other brother is in jail. Like, so how do you, how, how's an environment? Like, but, and plus, parents don't treat children the same way either. Mm -hmm. You know, again, so it's, it's environment. Like, you can have the same environment, but perception is the big thing. Yeah. And, and that's what I was alluding to as well was, I mean, we have two completely different personalities. So our interpretation, our perception of the environment is completely different. He looks at something and says, man, this thing is beating me down. And I look at that thing and saying, how am I going to climb over that? It's, it, it couldn't, we couldn't be more polar opposite in so many regards. Like I, I, I talk about, I talk about how I coaching him after my divorce changed the way I coach. I'm a big negative reinforcement guy. Like if someone tells me I suck, I say, yo, fuck you. And then I have to beat the shit out of them. Right. Someone tells a guy like him, he sucks. He goes, fuck me. And lets them beat the shit out of him. Yeah, that, that's actually an area 
that I've sort of changed my mind on. It's, it, you, you've kind of made me rethink something that I used to think in terms of like negative reinforcement. I like you ever get those? <laughs> I always laugh at this because do you guys know Pat Davidson? You wear Pat Davidson? You probably know his name. Well, he, he's he's like he, he's written Mass One, Mass Two. He's a strength and conditioning. He's a coach, like, um, and he recently came out with his, his latest one, um, the co- a coach's guide to optimize movement. He's based in New York, like he's he's a nutball. He's a, he's an absolute like he's PhD in sports science, um, but he got like kicked out of Springfield University because like he just basically like and he's an animal, like he trains like an animal. He's a beast, but. He said something to me one day and I thought it was so funny. He goes, you know, I just do things purely out of spite. And like my my <laughs> my original thought to that was like, I just can't, like, I was like, that. I've I seen this guy it, before. Yeah, I've yeah, seen him. I was like, I, I don't think that's a good thing. Like, I think you should do something because you want to do it. But then like the more I thought about it, the amount of great things that have been invented or have been brought into existence purely because someone said, fuck you, I'm going to beat you to that. Like so many things, like like the Wright brothers to the airplane, like, now we're going to beat those people to the airplane. We're going to be the first to uh, fucking go to the moon. The Americans, now we're yeah. going to beat the Russians to go to the moon. Yeah, we're going to do that before you guys. So uh, just to your point, Mike, like I would have been like, a negative reinforcement isn't great. But after listening to your interview too with the, with the lady you had on too, I thought that was so funny. Like, you know... You know, you get those kids and they, you know, sometimes they got a little bit of a smacking and they're like, because like, I, I didn't get beat up as a kid, but once or twice I got hit. And like, when I look back, I was like, kind of deserved it. And, <laughs> I, dude, I deserved I the majority of my beatings. <laughs> now, I, I never got beaten, but I got a smack like, and like, you know, as an adult, I'm able to reflect on that and go, listen, that didn't like, you know, I'm fine. I actually deserved it, and like uh, I didn't do it again. I did learn a good lesson. So what I'm saying is that negative reinforcement can have some positives to it. Yeah, I, I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before that I do so many things out of spite. Like my dude, I, my existence. Why why did I get all American? Out of fucking spite because some lying cocksucking coach cut me. Yo, fuck that guy. Now I'm gonna be an all American. You piece of shit. You know, like fuck, my a lot of my existence is based out of spite. I mean, it, did you? I I, I put on a uh, a recording of me pulling like I don't know, like six thirty when I was like one hundred and ninety pounds in college, right? My life for five years for no five years for four for four years after Delaware was out of spite. Was literally just a fuck you. Was a middle finger. My entire college career was a big fuck you. That's all it was. And the only reason that I wanted to play professionally towards the end was just so I could, you know, put it all in a nice little envelope and send it with a picture of my fucking nutsack to that coach. That's it. Spite. <laughs> and then even, even now, like, I want my business to succeed at a spite. I want people to look at me and be like, man, for all the people that tried fucking holding me down and tried running their fucking mouths, <laughs> eat my shit. Oh, I uh, absolutely torch. Uh, uh, Goggins, Goggins said him said, "Don't kill him with kindness. Torture him with success." I want people to fucking look at me and Google my name, even though they don't want to. The people that fucking hate me, I want them to be like, "Oh, this fucking Guadango kid keeps fucking popping up. I can't escape him." That's right, motherfucker. That's my measure. Going back to measurement of a success. That's what I do. 
Who's gonna carry the boats on? <laughs> Who's gonna carry the boats? Yep, that's right. Fuck so it. Listen, Fuck listen, you. Robbie, I, do you need to wrap it up? Because it's uh, seven yeah, o'clock. Yeah, I gotta go. Oh. I gotta go now. Just in a minute. Now, something though, I definitely want to again, uh, Mike. Definitely want to talk about anxiety because, it, it, to be honest, Mike, it just resonates with me because I only have really had to struggle with it the last year. But even just hearing like you talk about like, like you know you mentioned one of the podcasts you're like I have anxiety around food and, and as soon as you said it I was really like this yes yes I can resonate with that so there's some maybe even not a podcast we can speak about it, maybe offline or something but Broker one area I'd love for you to speak on maybe not now if you want to maybe give like a, a you know four or five minute synopsis and then maybe get into it really deep on another on another discussion what are your hopes as a father like what are your thoughts on parenthood Bro, that's big. Um, I know it's a huge question. So, like, e even if you're kind of like, do you have like a framework of where your mind is in that? And then maybe we can delve into that deeper. And Mike, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you want a family, and listen, you deal with kids all the time. So, I mean, you basically have how many kids in that city, like that are yeah. basically your children anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a heavy one, bro. I mean, I want to spend time with her, and uh, I want her to become you know, very much whatever he's, she wants to become sort of like in reinforce that. One of the things that I definitely don't want is I don't want to make things too easy for her just because I love her so much. So like even little things like now I, I was, I was looking into a little bit of, of some alternative ideas of raising children. And one of them is about don't just sit them up they need to be motivated themselves to sit them up. So don't just do that and encourage their own playtime. I mean, she's three months old and she can be playing with herself and she loves the wooden spoons on the kitchen island. She finds that hilarious and she's trying to talk to that. And, you know, even when she cries a little bit, don't just always go and soothe her just because of the way it makes me feel. I understand that I'm actually going to be robbing some of the experience from her. So honestly, mate, this is so new to me. I've got really no idea. I don't know my ass from my elbow right now with it. Um, and I think I'm already feeling like I've got to eat my own words with some of the things that I thought beforehand. Like, how can a parent do that? You know? And then you realize when you're fucking knackered that you end up doing things that you wouldn't normally do. You know? And it's always <laughs> easier to critique other people, but then it comes to yourself. So, yeah, mate. For me, honestly, it's a shitty answer, but I, first of all, I need more time. Oh, that's great. Of all, honestly, I really believe that in two years from now, I'll say something completely against what I said now. And then in five years, I'll say, yeah, I had no idea on that. Do you know what I mean? I'll tell you what, I'm 100% going to send you the clip from Louis C.K. about his kids. It's one of the funniest things yeah. ever. Have you seen that clip? Yeah. No, you, probably have, not. No, uh, no. Have you seen it, Mike? I probably have. It's it's hilarious. Um, I, 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 like, I'll just send it to you I'll just, and I'll put it in the show notes for, for the listeners instead of I've had it before <laughs> but just on what you said there you know the way like the basic tenant of it is like you know when you're single and you see someone give out to their kids like I'll never treat my kids like that and then he gets right. into this brilliant skit I don't want to ruin it for you but uh, just real quick there too um, that's really a really interesting topic you brought up though uh, Brooker about like like and then something we'll discuss about later, so maybe you have a bit more to think about it, is because I've been thinking about it too, in terms of like how much, like how much of an assistance or guidance do you give your kid? Like how, how much is like, 
you don't want to appease them so much that they never have to work for anything. You know what I mean? You still want to get you, you want them to struggle a bit because you know we all know a bit of adversity is good for character building. So it's kind of you know if you hand everything to them, it reminds me of Tony Robbins speaking to this girl one time. I'm like this goes back to our talking around perception. Like most people would say, oh look, this guy came from a single parent family, drug dealers got the shit bed out of him. You know, blah blah. What a terrible upbringing, and yet like. He became a rock star in life, and he would say, "I'd never change my upbringing. It made me who I am." And whereas, like you'd see other kids who had everything hand, silver spoon handed to them. And Tony Robbins talking to this girl, and she's like, "Did your daddy treat you like a princess?" She goes, "Oh, my father is brilliant, brilliant man. I love him." And he goes, "Gave you everything you wanted." He goes, "No yeah. man can ever fill those shoes." And that's what he said. He yeah. said, and then Tony Robbins basically goes, "Oh my God." He fucked you up. And then she was like, sorry? He's like, your father has fucked you for life. And he, he and she was like, like, excuse me? Don't speak like that. And he's like, do you realize your your father has made no man good enough for you ever? They'll never live up to your expectations. So it was just like, you know, like, again, going back to perception, the tough, rugged upbringing of this, this guy on one end served him so well in life because his perception was like, no. I overcame that adversary, adversity. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for my actions. Like I'd never take back the beatings. I never take back single home parents. I never take back the murders I, I witnessed. It, I, it made me want to get out of where I was and made him who I was. And then this girl who had everything handed to her, she's just as depressed and fucked up now because nothing lives up to her expectations. Yeah. If you were to look at that as an external observer, you'd be like, Oh, I want the easy cushy life because obviously that's a way better bringing two families and, two cars and a dog i don't want the rough one because obviously he ends up being fucked up but it goes back to perception again yeah, yeah. i mean i love i love the quote like you don't want to carry the child to the top of the mountain because you rob them the opportunity of climbing it himself so and you know this is what we was talking about with that with the child psychologist too is how much how do you know what's too much or not and you know like this there's so much stuff. It's so hard to know always, you know, things. But I, I do truly believe, I mean, one of the questions you wrote, and I'm glad we're not going to bring this up now because we ain't got time. And you say, like, you wrote in the email, what's the purpose of, of, of life and, and, and different things like that. And for me, it seems like if you go, like, super rational, there isn't any. You zoom out and out, it's fucking nothing. It's a fart in the wind. But... At the same time, because I believe that all the truths are like paradoxes and it's the way you decide to interpret it, it can kind of mean anything. And I think that we can sort of, we can change if you, you know, it's that um, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, it's like, if you change the way you look at things, what you look at changes and even things that happened to you in the past, maybe you perceive them as negative and you believe that that's been like very traumatic, but maybe there's also learning that can happen there that can then kickstart you going up and you know, this whole idea now, I mean, you hear it all the time about adversity and adversity makes you and stuff. And I've had people approach me that they say, I don't know if I can actually succeed because I didn't have a hard life. I had good parents that loved me and I had like a vanilla life. So maybe I don't have the, the minerals, you know, to actually succeed. And I don't also believe that too. I think it's just, it's all there to play for. And it's like, we're just, I feel like half of all the, the, the noise around, most of it's complete bollocks and it's just like avoidance or procrastination or just another reason why it can't be me. And the only way really through everything is just like just deciding to go and, and, and trying to like carve your own way out of anything. I mean, all of the greatest people in the world, everybody thought they were lunatics. The really great ones, they got killed pretty quick. So what do you want to do about it? You know what I mean? So... 
Yeah, yeah. Ro- Rogan, Rogan said that one of the things that's really, really difficult for him to comprehend is he, he wants to raise great people, right? But he's given his daughters everything and his daughters really don't have to struggle. And all the coolest people and most successful people that he interviewed had brutal upbringings. Like it just fucking sucked, right? So it's that stress resilience component. How much are you going to stress to build up the resilience so they know never to quit? That's, that's the fucking toughest part of, of, bringing, of bringing up a child into this world. Like how much am I really supposed to make this motherfucker work? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I think that's where the balance is. And re- I'll put this in the show notes soon. I'll send it to you guys. is a little clip from Neil deGrasse Tyson on London Real, and he speaks to this so beautifully. And he gives the example of, like, the, the foreign immigrants who first came to America, you know, the American dream. And, like, you know, they were they were broken. they came. And then, like, they worked like dogs. And then, like, they might have founded a little business. And then they became quite successful. And they're like, you know, I don't want, I, you know, I want to give my kids a good life. And then they they just they just basically hand their kids everything, and their kids grow up to be spoiled brats. And they ruin and then, the business. Uh, yeah, and then like the parents are like, the parents are like, where did we go wrong? We gave our kids everything they ever needed. And Neil deGrasse was like, that's the paradox. You didn't have to struggle like you. He's uh-huh. like that. That's you. You, you should have gave them struggle, you know, yep. to some degree. And and then you you know they would have appreciated what the, you you gave them more. Like you know, and I say that as a person. Listen, I'm I'm spoiled rotten growing up as well. Like. So my, my parents gave me everything I needed, you know, in that regard. Guys, I got to run. Um, this is phenomenal. And there's definitely a lot more conversation to be had among the three of us. So I'll wrap it up here. Um, Mike, do you want to just maybe click off there and I'll say goodbye to you offline? 